listening to The Home Recording Show, hosted by Ryan Canestro and John Tidy. Find us online at homerecordingshow.com. Welcome back. With us today is John Tidy at epicsounds.ca, reaperblog.net, and audiogeekzine.com. Hey, guys. And I am Ryan Canestro, and I'm not going to even mention any websites because I haven't been on any of them in years. <laughs> You can find us on Twitter, John at the Audio Geek, and I have one at Ryan Canestro, but I don't read that either. Emails are John or Ryan at homerecordingshow.com. I do read that. If you're shopping on Amazon, please click through our link. They'll break off a piece and send it our way. Click on the tip jar for one-time or recurring monthly donations. The archives tabs near the top of our page. Check out every show we've done. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash homerecordingshow. If you listen on iTunes, please write us a review. So what are we doing today? I have no idea. You tell me. Uh, we're going to do Ask HRS. We're going to catch up on questions going all the way back to July when we did the last day at Ask HRS. And it's mid-February right now, so uh, <laughs> this is the first show of the year for us. Yeah. And I'm actually in Seattle right now, so it's the closest I've ever physically been to John, and I'm still not going to meet him. All right, so Russell Munson wrote in, thanks so much for the rundown on Ryan's location kit. I've been getting more of that kind of work, and it's very helpful to hear what you find to be useful. I'm always happy when you discuss the location recording stuff on your podcast. Don't feel like you only have to talk about tracking rock bands, DIY gear, although that's great stuff too. So it's been a while since we did that. Uh, is there anything you've gotten in the last uh, three months adding to your kit? Uh, hmm. uh, I've been big on rechargeable batteries. That's something that's kind of new. Um, uh, they're expensive, but you get your use out of them pretty quick. Uh, the nine volt lithiums, especially, um, if you're going to buy lithium nine volts, it's like I think four or five bucks each. Or if you buy these, they're twenty bucks each, and I've been using them for months now, so that's good. Cool. And then I have double uh, A's. I got the Power X. Uh, these guys are pretty cute. Yeah. So they work really well. Um, I, I probably go through about twelve or sixteen of them a day. Yeah. So I have like 20 of them, and I just keep recharging them each night. Cool. That stuff's all pretty good. I've never seen those ones. Are those uh, Amazon? Yeah, the PowerX you can buy on Amazon. Uh, the lithium uh, 9 volts, um, those ones, uh, uh, they might be on Amazon. I'll check. Um, where are those? I've got the uh, Eneloop Professional ones, the black charger and black batteries. Uh, they're pretty cool. I've used them for my... Um, Camera flash, uh, ring yeah, light. Yeah, good things about those. Yeah, they take a long and time they, to charge. Actually, really. Yeah, um, these PowerX I have, and they have a specific charger for them. They they charge really fast, and I actually charge them on soft uh, charge, which takes a little longer, but it, it prolongs the life of the battery. They still charge in a couple hours. Yeah. So every night when I come home from work, I just pop them in there. Um, the uh, nine volts I use are iPower. Um, these guys are pretty badass. I think they are on Amazon, so uh, we should probably take a look at that. But if you, if you guys are wondering, Ryan's actually showing me over Skype camera. Uh, well, that's why I'm saying it too. I'm just yeah, showing yeah, you yeah. for your information. <laughs> <laughs> We're not recording the video, so a little bit of it is lost. But uh, for my benefit, he's showing me what he's talking about. Because you he, guys aren't missing Ryan anything. is in a hotel room right now with all his gear. It's a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a whole lot of uh, I, I have a mic attached to a lamp right now for my mic stand, so that's how we're getting down right now. Got to do whatever works. 
Yeah, I wanted to get a show out this year. Yeah. Um, but headphones, mics, recorder, all that stuff is the same? Uh, pretty much. Uh, right now I'm, I'm talking on uh, Peluso that I have, uh, which is like the Shep circuit. This is the CEMC6 by Peluso. And I have the hypercardioid capsule on. Uh, I bought this fairly recently. I don't even know if we've talked about it on the show, but fantastic mic. I use it for some interior stuff. Uh, and then you can also put the cardioid on it, use it for a room mic. And then the cardioid in the studio sounds fantastic on acoustic guitar, things like that. So fun mic. I think it's around 500 bucks or so with both capsules. Cool. But it comes with the uh, cardioid. I had to buy the super cardioid. And you need that for more directional dialogue type stuff. And I, I've bought more things. Here's the, uh, I have a, um, <clears throat> a horrible voice today. The uh, Electrosonics SMQVs. I, I bought uh, two more of these and two more receivers and two more Sankin COS11 mics. Um, crazy expensive, but you need them. They just sound the best. Yeah. Most reliable. Well, wire sounds the best when you connect wire to a preamp, but... Or wireless. What, what is the main difference you're hearing between the wired and the wireless? Well, mic? the problem with the wireless is you have interference. You have to always scan for frequencies every time you come to a new location. There's crosstalk. There's there's a lot that goes on. So just getting clean air, getting all that dialed in, that's kind of a pain in the ass. And and, and it's easier with those more expensive mics. Yeah, they uh, they're uh, hybrid digital technology, so it's sending digital, so it's converting at the pack, sending digital information across, so you can have error correction, you can have things going on like uh, more like a network connection than an analog signal. So um, hmm. you get you get some benefits there, and then it also has better filtering, and um, there's all kinds of voodoo they put into that, and that's why they can charge three thousand dollars a person to wire somebody up for a TV show. Cool. So. Russell's question wasn't really a question. I was just saying thanks. But I figured since it's been a while, good to get an update. Yeah, it was a statement that you can answer like a question. Yeah. <laughs> so. Helm of the Anti-Lemon wrote in, uh, I'm not, I don't remember which show. Uh, this is to Ryan. A while back, you guys were talking about turning mono sources into stereo ones. I think you suggested reamping and then using two mics to record the reamped signal through speakers to make it stereo. That doesn't sound like me. Not at all. <laughs> I would love to hear your result on, say, an old mono recording, preferably a classical piece, because that's what I'm working on, and maybe you could play it on the podcast. I think that miking a piece of music through speakers would not be able to capture all of the frequency range of the piece of music. I can see it working for one instrument, but an entire mix? Question mark. Yeah, I never do an entire mix, so yeah, I, I really can't speak to that. Um, and I would never try to do an entire mix. I mean, maybe if you're like, just think of it as if you put reverb on an entire mix. And sometimes you can in mastering just a hint, and then it'll give you a little something extra to give you a little dimension, a little space. It's the exact same concept. Yeah. But I find Only, that it results in individual instruments just because uh, that's the world we live in. Yeah. It, it seems like with those, with that, uh, with the reamping technique, you get, you still get a lot of the direct sound, a lot of the tonality of the speakers. In a, is that correct? Oh, for sure. Or, or it depends on how far away you're actually miking it from. Yeah, and it definitely depends on how far away you're miking it from. But you're basically picking up reflections of the room and, and focusing less on the original source. But whatever you're playing it out of, if you're playing it out of a guitar speaker, you're going to lose some high end, some low end. If you're playing it out of a studio monitor with the subwoofer, you're going to get a lot more bass in the room. 
um, and a lot more high end. You know, it just depends what you're using. So if you were, say, using a, a virtual synth and then sending it out, reamping it, would you, you blend in that, that room signal with the clean sound from the in-the-box signal, or would you have a close mic on the speaker as well and, and totally replace that sound? Yeah, so if I'm reamping a synth, it's usually because uh, you, you want to add the character, like I'll run it through a guitar amp like a Fender Deluxe, and I want to capture the character of the amp, the character of the speaker, so I'll close mic that, and then you can stereo mic the room to get your spread too, and then mix and match there. And then also feed back in some of that original synth sound, just as you would like a direct bass and an amp bass sound. Yeah. Probably and, a lot lower than if you were trying to filter it and make it work on its own. Yeah. Setting it to reverbs and stuff And like that. definitely yeah. watch for phase. Yeah. As far as putting a clip into the show, probably not because you're away from home. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm over a thousand miles away from home. So, uh, the fact that I was able to sit down and do this is because I'm stuck in a hotel room and we don't have a call time till 5 p.m. Which is really not that long away. No, not at all. So yeah, it's it's 3.20 now and uh, I still have to shower and eat before uh, I have to be in the lobby at 5.15. So uh, okay. welcome to my life. <laughs> and that's a, a, a nice room for a, a segue, but horribly segued uh, into what I'm working on right now. And... Uh, it's a it's a ten week job that I'm doing for the Playboy Channel, and um, I know tough gig for me, but uh, mm -hmm. we're we're doing a lot of interesting stuff, and and a lot of it gets into kind of fetish world. So I've seen some things that I can't unsee. <laughs> yeah, connecting uh, body packs to g strings. <laughs> well, it's it's been a lot more of like people wearing very interesting outfits, and then talking about mm. like things like medical play which I don't know if yeah. any of you guys know what that even is, but um, they were putting needles through this girl and um, she's into it. Hmm. So uh, let's not. Yeah. I, I, that was a tough one to boom because I've kind of got a problem with needles to begin with. Yeah. Um, but then we had like sexy wrestling and uh, was there any sounding? What do you mean? Uh, I, I don't think we've gotten uh, to that you, yet. We're only week okay. five. So you, okay. you might want to give me a heads sounding? up. No. Okay. The next five seconds will be cut from the show. Yeah, so that's pretty gross, and uh, let's move on. <laughs> there have been a couple sexy things, but mostly it's been some strange fetish and S&M type stuff that uh, not really into, but uh, definitely a challenge getting good sound on. <laughs> Judson P. wrote in, um, do you remember when we you did the shootout on the Seventh Circle preamps? I do. That was show 150. I still think really about long that a lot. I, I, I love those preamps. He actually wrote in three times. I guess as he was listening, he was writing down his thoughts. And uh, the third comment is what I'm going to read here. Okay. The other thing I have to say about these is that every time I use them, I think about the fun I had waking up at 5 a.m. on Saturday morning before the wife and kids and soldering these little puppies together one at a time. And then the first time I turned each module on and plugged in a mic and tried to discover the character and why API was considered the de facto drum pre or the Neve the de facto electric guitar pre, etc. And pooling my cash so I could buy the next module every few months until I filled up the rack with eight of these. I just found it so much more fulfilling than pulling out the credit card and picking up a Great River or a Vintech from Sweetwater. Or Amazon through our thing. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, and anytime you build something with your hands and you've gone through all the, the steps of learning it inside and out and figuring out why it works and 
how why it, it sounds a particular way, uh, I think you're going to appreciate it a lot more. Absolutely. And those preamps are fantastic. They use high-quality transformers, high-quality parts. Uh, the designs are not exact clones. In some cases, they're more exact than others. Like, I found the API to not sound exactly like an API, but still great. Um, the Neve stuff uh, definitely blew away my Neve clone at the time. So, I, I and and the, the J99 stuff, the uh, Jensen uh, twin servo stuff, uh, fantastic. So I've, I've been on the fence now about buying a, um, a rack for 500 series or just getting some of those preamps and just building them. Um, I, I, yeah. I really love the Neve and the J99 stuff and the compressors even they're built on the DBX circuit, but then they also incorporate transformers, uh, as an option, which gave them a lot of character and, uh, yeah. transformers are awesome. Right. Yeah. Not the new movies, but the, <laughs> I saw a thing. It was from Red Letter Media. They reviewed three Transformers movies simultaneously, and <laughs> and about they line up? seventy-five of the scenes lined up exactly. Wow! The movies were different lengths, and some of the action scenes just went on twice as long. They start the exact same. Trying to pay attention to all three of those movies, like they were all getting headaches immediately. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Oh, the um, there's a, a site, Honest Movie Trailers, and they they go through and and basically do like a movie trailer, but like honestly, and then they just tear apart the plot and everything else. Uh, they did some really funny stuff on Transformers. The the Megan Fox, she said, uh, with the looks of a professional porn star and the acting chops of an amateur porn star. <laughs> great, yeah, great stuff. Michael writes in a reference to show 243. I'd like to take this opportunity to recap a little bit about the 243 great shows that inspired a young man from a faraway country. There have been tons of great shows that you guys have put out, and I'm forever grateful. Since I've made it through all the episodes, I just wanted to post a quick list on things I learned from you guys and write an awfully long post no one will ever read except for right now. So here we go. And also, yeah, we put out... <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, over the next five years, we might put out another six or seven shows. So uh, stand by. Yeah. Uh, after all these great hours of listening to Ryan, John, Jesse, yay, someone who remembers the guy that Ryan promised to get on the show as a guest since show 100. And all the great guests, here's what you guys have taught me. Yeah, it's kind of weird to like go back and, and think. I mean, that was five years ago for us. But some of these, some people have just recently gone through and listened to all of them. So it's kind of fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how long was Jesse on? I mean, he was on for about 100 shows, wasn't he? I'm sure one of the fans knows this number, but I have no idea. Let's say that. over 20, probably less than 100. Somewhere between 20 and 100 for sure. Number one, making music is all about having fun and being creative. Number two, there's nothing you can do wrong while recording. Number three, if it sounds right, it is right. Number four, if you're just starting to record music, you'll suck, but you'll get better at it eventually. That's a big one. Yep, Number five, definitely true. stay curious. Always keep learning. The second you stop learning, you stop making progress. Number six, don't buy Behringer stuff except for headphone amps. <laughs> I also bought a, a Behringer splitter. It's working out great for me, but uh, not part of the audio signal path. Number seven, <laughs> stay childish. Uh, there's a link here, and uh, I can't even imagine what's behind it, but I agree. Giggity, 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 ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, tang, walla, walla, bing, bang, ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, tang, walla, walla, bing, bang. Number eight. Be thankful for having the opportunity to make music. Number nine, don't be afraid to try things and abuse gear. 
Number 10, the most important thing for getting a great recording is to play a great song in a great manner. Um, that was, should, should have been number one. Yeah. And here are the top absolutely unnecessary things I've learned. <laughs> number one, pubic lice are an endangered species. <laughs> number two, John mixes without pants, but with a wizard's head. Um, I actually just put on shorts because I knew John was going to be seeing me while, while we're recording this. <laughs> number three, Ryan likes to play with knobs. Giggity, giggity goo. Thanks again for so many great shows. I am hereby humbly asking for a diploma if Ryan ever has the time to send out a bunch of those fuckers. <laughs> uh, I'll put that on a list if I can find that list. So here's a poem to say thank you for the 243 episodes of HRS and to encourage you to do 243 episodes more, which will probably take 30 years to be completed at the speed at which they are released right now. Roses are red. Violets are blue. HRS is awesome. Giggity, giggity, goo. Good stuff. Yeah. And I agree with all of that. I concur. Uh, when we, and the, the very top of that, um, making music is about having fun and being creative. It is in the home studio realm. Once you start getting into the professional realm, uh, you have to learn to be less precious. And there's a whole new thing that happens when somebody who's paying you says, this is what I want even though you know it's wrong or can be done better. Uh, learn to shut your mouth and be precious. Uh, make your opinions known. But if they're not received, let them go. So yep. there's a lot about that when you start getting into the professional world. But I think this is all having to do with making music at home, enjoying it, loving it as a hobby. And um, you got to start there with exactly what he said as a hobby. And once you get really good at your hobby, then you can maybe think about taking it on the road professionally. Michael on show 244. I'm not sure if this is the same Michael. There's more than one Michael. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty common name. Hey guys, it's really good to hear from you again and get another episode. This one was really great. The mobile drum recording segment was awesome. The last example of the Ludwig kit was especially great. It actually reminded me of my favorite sounding drums. Ian Rubin on Paramore's part two, but you were able to get it with a minimal setup as opposed to the 30 mics that were probably used on the Paramore record. Really, really impressive. If I'll ever get that sound at the source, I can die happy. Yeah, I don't know anything about Paramore. Okay. Um, and you probably missed the segment. Probably. <laughs> okay, so Brock, who, who did the segment for us, uh, wrote in to reply to that. Thanks, Michael. Also wanted to thank the dudes for pointing out a couple things I forgot. Number one, not caring what the drums or instruments look like in the room. John made a great point that I neglected to mention that the best sounding placement can look weird in a room sometimes. And number two, I think Brandon mentioned something about the heaviness of equipment in a mobile setup and the struggle is real. My 003 and 710s are in the same rack and that thing is no joke to haul around. Not to mention it's somewhat fragile and valuable contents. The stands are a bitch to move too. I bag them up and they are heavy as hell. It's an honor to be a contributor to HRS. Can't wait for more shows. It was a really, really great segment from Brock. Then I'll definitely have to go back and listen to it. I know the the deal. I've, I've tried to take my entire studio and package it up in a rack mount. It is heavy as hell. I got a, a rack mount with a shock mount inside. So there's some kind of give when it's on the road and it's on casters. So you can move it around. Um, big plate on the front, big plate on the back and clamp it down for a road case. But yeah, you're talking about some serious weight. Uh, get that in the back of a truck. You got to have a couple guys lift it. You got to strap it down. The gear is fragile. Transporting all those microphones. Um, stands are always fun, especially when stairs are involved. So 
Plus, you're constantly stressed because you have to watch that stuff. Yeah. You can't walk away from yeah, it. Yeah. Either always, someone's always got to watch it. And uh, in, you know, movie world, when we have all our equipment, like we're coming in and out of airports, we have to make piles. Someone's got to go grab stuff off the, you know, uh, baggage claim. Someone's got to watch the bag. Someone's got to go get the car. Um, you've you've got to have someone on fire watch constantly to make sure that everything's where it's supposed to be and nothing's walking away. A lot of fun. Make sure you always bring an extra guy with you because you'll need him. Yeah, I did um, a little video and audio recording at uh, a rehearsal studio for Three Piece Band. And in addition to all their gear, I had a uh, laptop, interface, uh, I think it was six mics, and then a bunch of cables for every possible situation, plus uh, two cameras, iPhone, uh, tripods, lighting, all that stuff. It gets heavy for sure. Yeah. And you got to make sure that you leave with everything that you brought. Yeah. So the next one is from John. Show 246 regarding recording in a car. Love this segment. Missed you all. Thanks for keeping it alive, John. Oh, just John gets thanks. <laughs> I've been playing with a lot of recording in my car for the same reason as Adam. No time otherwise. So I have my mobile rig of iPad mini running Aria into an Apogee one interface. Taylor, Big Baby, and Line 6 mobile keyboard. On my lunch hour at work, I drive into an empty parking lot, jump in the back seat, and lay down some tracks. The car is amazingly absorptive. I highly recommend the Apogee One. Happy New Year, all. Uh, that's cool, uh, especially if you got no time and you can you can make that hour uh, work for you. Um, and that's that's that'd be super cool to have like a whole album of I recorded this entire album in the back of my car during lunch over a year. Yeah. And if you could write and finish a song in that one hour on your lunch break, that'd be cool too. Well, an hour is definitely enough time to sketch ideas and, and have yeah. inspiration and, and write some amazing songs. Um, you know, it might be the kind of thing where over the course of a certain amount of time, you write the whole album, have all your demos done, and then just block out a couple of weeks to go into a studio with a drummer and just start killing it. And as for recording in the car, I remember Matt McGlynn had an article on... Uh, doing voiceover in a car. I do a lot of that. I guess he didn't have a vocal booth for a bit and he had to record some uh, VO and the best sounding VO he had ever recorded up to that point was in his car. Yeah, I do a lot of that when we're doing like a commercial, especially in commercials, sometimes in feature films where we need to get the actor to say certain lines or there is like a voiceover for the scene. Um, I'll pull them in a car just so we can basically knock down the outside noise more than anything and then also have more of a booth feel um, and then record the boom right in their face as well as the love still on them in the same position and give post a couple options. Um, and one time we did in a car, I added a third mic and I grabbed the beta 58 and put that right in the actor's face as well and had the boom, the beta 58 and the love and the beta 58 sounded fantastic in the car because uh, it's more directional. You're getting uh, more signal to noise ratio. And uh, in that car, it's super dead. So you're getting a lot less outside noise. Uh, that thing was yeah. usable for broadcast. And uh, it was. Cool. Do you often find out like what tracks are actually used in the mix? Or it, you deliver and then you never hear from them again? I usually deliver <laughs> and never hear from them again. I, I oh. usually try to check out everything that I've worked on to see how it looks, how it sounds, how it all came out. And it's just, it's so weird to see turning in the same audio with the same gear 
day in, day out, year in, year out, and hearing so many different end results. It's, it's pretty weird. Hmm. It seems to be less collaborative than music projects in that way. It is, it is a lot. Um, the sound department, the location sound department is not really involved with post at all. Someone like a sound designer would be, though. You'd be surprised there, too, but it's more like a mixing engineer might not have any communication with a mastering engineer. Um, the band will, because the band will, or the record label will take it from one to the next, but usually don't have a whole lot of collaboration in those two areas. So there is a lot of that in the movie world. Uh, the show I'm on now, uh, it's all a small group of people. And day one, we went in for a meeting and met the entire post team, talked to them about what they're looking for, what they want, how they want it. And, and we went through all of that, but still, even then all of my sound is just going to be reference audio until they send it to a post house, which uh, I don't know if I'll have any communication with. And then they'll send all of that audio there to be finished. Hmm. So you never know. And uh, let me go pee real quick and then we'll get into the next uh, comment. We took a little break and I thought of something. You ready for a tangent? About half the time I do location stuff or stuff that's outside of my, um, out of zone. my comfort zone and in a situation where it cannot be redone. I get to this moment, usually like three quarters of the way through the day. I think that I've totally ruined everything. Uh, the last time it was transferring uh, files off the memory cards and from my phone onto the computer. And I had a moment where I thought that it had overwritten the first half of the day with the second half of the day's files without warning me. I thought that the iPhone had because I'd cleared the videos from the first uh, set, it had reset the numbers, the file numbers. And as I copied mm -hmm. them over, it had just erased the first day or the first half of the day. And I was just like, panicked. that would be bad. There's another time when um, using a field recorder, it was recording in 96K, but it can't mm -hmm. play back cleanly in 96K. <laughs> so <laughs> that's just good design. Yeah. So it was like, okay, this is glitchy. And it's a whole day of shooting and I'm just not going to tell anyone and I'll just quietly shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, do you ha ever feel like you've totally fucked something up? I usually get a little anxiety before I do something really big, like uh, big music recordings where I'm running, you know, 12 to 20 channels in, uh, even though I can hear everything, see it recording. I just worry sometimes, but, in my recorder, my sound device is 664. It's never fucked me before. It's never not recorded something when it says it was. Um, I've made mistakes. Uh, there was one time we did a music performance where um, I didn't catch the first half of a guy's song because um, they only had me and they should have had two guys and I was behind the stage and running around. And for some reason, I thought I hit record. It didn't. And then I ran around to go check something else. When I came back, I realized it wasn't recording. Uh, I just went up and asked them to do the song again so they can have it. And they said, oh, we're out of time. doesn't matter. So I, I let them know. They knew. They decided not to redo it and take the five minutes to do it again. Hmm. Um, and there was one time where I was doing a huge recording, my first big music recording for a record label. And this was uh, eight years ago or something. Uh, the computer just froze up uh, my Mac and just gray screened in the middle of a performance. 
in front of an audience, the whole thing. So I immediately scrambled, restarted it, got it recording again, definitely lost that song. But because all of the other files, uh, it just had just gray screened in the middle of recording, I had to go through and pull up each uh, wave file in a text editor and put a new header at the top of it so it worked. Yeah. And um, that was scary as shit because the record label had already cut me a check and I couldn't deliver anything. And it took me like a week to figure it out. I finally got it, mixed it, sent it off. And after all of that anxiety, uh, they took the project and just shelved it. They're like, yeah, this isn't quite what we're looking for. We didn't really care for the performance. Hmm. So. Yeah. Well, at uh, least you that get was paid. The, the most I ever stressed out. And then they ended up not using it. I could have just shown up with no gear and just said, yeah, everything recorded great. And then, uh, same end result. Yeah. That's always disappointing. Yeah, with that, uh, the thing where you have to enter a new header, I'm pretty sure that it in Reaper, they actually uh, write that block of the WAV file every minute or something like that of recording. That's a good idea. There's like, like some sort of protection <laughs> so that if uh, the computer shuts off, you, you have all of that data in the WAV files. Great. Yeah, um, which made me think of it for some reason, but, oh, because you said Reaper and how you switched so long ago and just left Pro Tools behind. Um, I want to upgrade Pro Tools right now, and my current computer can't upgrade to the operating system that will run the newest Pro Tools because it's a Mac Pro 1,1, so I can't even go to the operating system that will run it. The laptop I have now is a Mac Pro. Um, it's a late 2011 uh fast enough processor, all that. Uh, the new Pro Tools doesn't support this hardware. Uh. So I have to buy an entire new computer, entire new Pro Tools, I mean, all of it, just to get current. It's like, uh, I don't know, over two grand just to be able to run the latest Pro Tools in hardware when I'm not having any hardware limitations. It's just the software won't run with the new stuff. And uh, that's why you left. And it <laughs> made me think of you and, and wish I had done the same then. But that's the software I know, and now I'm kind of stuck with it. Yeah, I've been switching a lot of people over, or at least they've been playing with Reaper, even given out some of my or my um, configuration file. Other than um, file paths, it's exactly the same as my system. I was trying to. Sh cool. I was at someone's house <clears throat> showing him something. It wasn't working quite right with the default install, and then I was like, "Well, I've got my config in, in Dropbox." took like five seconds to download, install, and it was just like what I have at home, which is pretty nice. I, I love that configurability, and I don't know. We'll see how things go. But how, how does Reaper do for uh, post-production work with adding video and all of that? It accepts most video formats. Some work better as far as frame accuracy. It has time code. It can, you can set the grid size to frames. You should be able to do everything. It's not quite the same. You can have multiple video tracks. So you have multiple video files in the project without having wow. to get the HD version. Right. And it can export most video files. But but certain formats are more efficient or the, they display better. You can use um, the VLC decoder in real time. Mm -hmm. Video is not something that I do but I've been talking to a lot of sound designers and stuff and they'll get like a, a screen capture of a character, like a video game character doing, mm -hmm. um, you know, casting a magic spell. And then sound designer drops in the samples and 
has to get it frame accurate. And yeah. depending on the video format you have, and if you're displaying the video on an external monitor, sometimes there's a little latency issue there. So good times. Maybe it'll render correctly, but it won't display correctly. It's all just a matter of having the right format to work with. Yeah. Oh yeah. As soon as you add video into the equation, it's a total pain in the ass. Yeah. We should probably get through these uh, questions because oh, yeah. uh, I'm quickly running out of time here. Billy Kay sent us an email in response to Adam's segment on number two forty-six. John, you questioned whether or not anyone has tried going back to using Tape Deck or Audacity or something, knowing what we know now. I recently purchased a Tascam MK2 for about $100 off eBay and a couple boxes of TDK 20 tapes or 20 minute tapes, which nice. gives you Old school five minutes track. of recording. I was so tired of overcorrecting things to the grid. I wanted, just wanted to hear and not see the music for once. Once a week for a few months, I recorded a new song on the MK2. I've allowed a few cheats though. I used addictive drums and logic, cheat number one, mixed as well as I could by themselves and summed down to track one of the MK2. Tracks two and three were twin acoustic guitars, finger strummed to tame the transients. A vocal was put on track four with a few punches, and then track two to four were all ran through an art tube preamp. I dumped each isolated track back into Logic, added a bass guitar, which is cheat number two, and exported the final mix. Eventually, after a few songs, I put the bass on track four. I needed the dot to double up the vocals and get them right, which was cheat number three. The results were pretty cool and gritty, although I do consider them to be semi-rough drafts. I also wanted to plow through a bunch of songs I had sitting around, and this method kept me from getting bogged down with all the time-consuming stuff. All right, gents, helpful and enlightening episode as usual. That's that's kind of fun using the going back to the tape, but I would really just try to grab the tape and just not cheat at all. Um, I would say programming drums on the computer and dumping that to track one isn't exactly cheating because back before computer recording, I had a little external drum machine that I used to run into channel one on the four track and record that. So I'll let that one slide. But <laughs> after that, um, just record your bass on channel two, record your first guitar on channel three, and then submix that all to channel four. And then that opens up channels one through three again. And then you can keep doing that and uh, you can get a couple bounces in before you know you're already submixed as much as you can submix. I mean, you could keep bouncing, you know, your your channel four, which is the mix of your three, and then two and three back to one. Yeah. Once you start bouncing too many times, though, um, it, it starts getting pretty crazy. But what what that does teach you is to commit and to submix and commit to the submixes. Yeah. And the performances and the punches aren't as good. You can't mix and match. You can't fly in uh, chorus one over to chorus two, which is great because songs should build. You shouldn't just take whatever happened in each chorus and dump it to the next. And the only time I do that is if I'm working with people that just can't play their own songs. So then I'll just, you know, cobble one together and just pop it across and then try to take one instrument to give it a lift or two instruments to add on top of the bass tracks. But uh, I, I do like that. And I think even if um, everyone is just working in their DAW, it might be a fun experiment to limit yourself to four tracks and to bounce everything and only have four tracks up and uh, maybe a master fader and, and just try to make it all work within that. If nothing else at all, uh, you'll learn something about how it used to be done. And uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, most of the great records were, were made before any of this technology came out. 
now that we have all the tools in the world, I, there's a lot of the music suffering for it, even though um, it shouldn't, but it is. Do you think something like your uh, your sound devices recorder uh, could be able to like do multi-track sessions and overdub and stuff like that, or is it? Could you no. figure it out a way to do it? No, there there is no overdubbing. Um, okay. You would have to send it out. Like I used to take uh, two tape players and a Radio Shack mixer and bounce back and forth like that and just go from tape right. machine to tape machine. You'd have to do something like that. It's uh, oh. it's it's not made to overdub. Okay. Well, neither were the first tape machines. No, <laughs> but if I had two of these recorders, I could yeah. certainly do that. Um, a lot of times... It can play back, right? It can play back, but, but it, can't it can't play, play back, back and record. record. Oh, okay. Um, but I'll do a lot of stuff where I can record like uh, a band in a rehearsal space, things like that, and then bring that back, dump it all into Pro Tools, and then do overdubs there if we need to, or do all the effects and auto-tuning and everything else. E2 writes in, the first segment was surprisingly good. Uh, what's this in reference to? This is talking about... Um, Adam sent in a song that he recorded on his phone, okay. in his car. Really like the lo-fi sound of the song. I would be interested in knowing how Adam found a way about, uh, how Adam found a way around the high monitoring latency on the Android. I have a newer Samsung Galaxy phone and the latency on mine is horrible, about 100 milliseconds. The low latency solution for Android are coming, but still on the way. I don't think even the newest Androids have anywhere near as low audio latency as the iPhone. Uh, I've been using my phone to t- I've been using my phone to make music, but only more electronic and sample-based stuff that I sequence manually with phone DAWs like Caustic and Nanoloop, both of which I recommend if you're into electronic music. However, I would never trade my Reaper-based studio for any kind of phone or tablet-based solution. Um, I could see that for right now, but going forward, um, I think you're going to see so much more of this. Uh, the processing power of, of just the phone in your hand is, is so much better than we had, you know, five or 10 years ago. And that trend's going to continue. And the new Raspberry Pi just came out with dual processor, a quad core processor, still $35 with a gig of memory. Uh, you can use that to make most things now. Uh, you know, it, it's pretty amazing, just the direction of technology. So you're going to see more and more of this mobile based uh, approach and it will be, I would say another five or 10 years, your phone probably will be as powerful as the Mac Pro that I can't update right now. (laughs) Now, Adam wrote in to reply to E2. I honestly don't recall having to deal with latency issues while tracking. This is with the caveat that I was... Caveat. Caveat. (laughs) That I was not comparing this with a state-of-the-art studio. So if it was all in the ballpark of acceptable, I rolled with it. I did have to nudge some of the tracks around, so it was definitely part of the cleanup phase, but not so much that it stopped the project. I would let you know which setting I used, but as a postscript to this segment, it should be noted that you need an off-device backup. I dropped and broke the phone and can't access some of that stuff. The phone still works, but the screen is gone, so I'm at a crossroads of having to fix the phone or write all my tracks off as a loss and go get a new phone. So, yeah. That's definitely a downside of losing your studio. Yeah. Because it fits in your pocket. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But um, also something to think about, uh, especially if you're on Android and know you can't do it in an iPhone, but um, I have a micro SD card in my phone. So everything gets recorded to that. So even if my phone gets mangled, if I can just get that little card out, I still have all of my data. So um, yeah. I do enjoy that. 
and um, I do like going in and rooting my uh, Android phone. So all my data is on another drive, and then when I change my phone, I can format the whole thing, put a new operating system on it. All my data still remains, just like having two hard drives in your computer. And then also, once you root it, you can use Titanium Backup or something like that and back up all your data, back things up in the cloud. And uh, are you masturbating or are you punching yourself in the dick? I can't tell. <laughs> I was making a masturbating motion. Okay. Because this it doesn't get any geekier than that. You know, installing operating systems on your phone and, you know... It's it's just it's too pretty much. geeky, but my phone is pretty badass. My phone's cooler than your phone. Yeah, mine's just an iPhone four, so it's old. I know it's old. Same phone my wife has. Frederick Kalberg uh, writes in, "Great show, John. Again, all this praise for John. <laughs> he does one show without me. <laughs> of course, John picked all the comments, so." I rarely use my phone to record something other than quick ideas, but I'm thinking about using it as a control surface with Reaper. Have you any further experience with that? The only existing plugins I've used this year is the TTDRM. And while it's not the most exciting plugin, it's certainly one of the most useful in my chain. Music, it's got to be the safety fire. I saw them opening for Protest the Hero in Stockholm, and they blew me away. Have a listen. You won't be disappointed. And lastly, I'm sorry for being such a lazy ass. While I'm not that lazy, 2014 just crapped out on my family from August through the end of the year and sprinkled the last month with death, terminal sickness, and other depressing stuff. On top of it, all of my Firewire ports on the FF800 gave out, so I've been kind of not in the mood for doing things, but all is good now. In segments, OES plural is soon to be mailed to you. It's a bit of narrating left to do, but I've got a window of time to do it in about two weeks. And in an attempt to lure out Ryan, it's about tubes and amps and other stuffs. Uh, I'm game. Yeah, he's already sent it to me, so it's coming up. Very cool. All right, so let's start at the beginning with that. Um, he said, I'm thinking about... <laughs> <laughs> he, he always bothers about. me about saying, saying about... I don't think I say it. A boat. Now, now I'm self-conscious. Now, I, I, I only every now and then pick up on the Canadian in you. Yeah, using the phone as a con control surface, you can do that. Um, there's Touch OSC. It's like a six dollar program for uh, iPhone and Android. Um, it's just like a share screen. It, it's, uh, Touch OSC is a custom interface. It doesn't like mirror your screen or anything like that. So it's it looks more like the Star Trek keyboards and stuff in the show. Oh. So it, it's more like one-dimensional graphics, really flat-looking, sort of retro-futuristic. With an iPad, you definitely get a lot more, a lot more functions with it because it's just a larger control surface. You don't have to tap through multiple pages to go through your mix and stuff like that. I set it up on my iPhone to do a tutorial, and then I don't think I ever used it since. Awesome. So Useful. Yeah. But I can see like if you're like trying to punch yourself in in the booth and your computer's in the other room, um, just being able to grab your phone and and hit record and start at the top and things like that. Uh, very useful. Yeah, and, and also being able to like alter the mix without having to go to the keyboard. Yeah. Um, yeah, you could mute the bass or, you know, change the levels and great for tracking, even add plugins. But beyond that, like I, I wouldn't be sitting in front of my computer using a remote control when I can reach the keyboard. I think it's really difficult to transition away from using the mouse to just using a touchscreen interface probably even harder than going to a 
just a uh, control surface. It's it's hard to say like if moving faders are better than touchscreen because touchscreen, especially with Touch OSC, you can um, customize it. You can have all the controls you can think of available at your fingertips. It's all about what you're into. The Safety Fire is a great band, and I listen to them. Good. And that's it. That's it. So uh, that's our show. And uh, hopefully we have uh, a bunch of listener segments in. So we're going to try to uh, get on top of that, wrap that up, do a nice little show around those and uh, get those out as soon as possible. And then maybe there'll be another six month gap before we do anything after that. (laughs) We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you to everyone who comments and participates in the show. Thank you so much to everyone who was donated. Thanks to John for all the long hours of editing our show. There might be more where that came from. We'll see you all next then. Thank you for listening. The guys will be back next week. Please go to homerecordingshow.com and leave your comments.